Monday, December 18th, 2017. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I have a slight injury. It has to do with, I don't know, my mouth or tongue. It's going to affect things if you do what I do for a living. But I shall proceed. I subscribe to uh, a couple of Twitter accounts from friends of mine named Denny and Arby's. Okay, it's a, it's a corporate account from Denny's. I think the Arby's is a nihilist Arby's. That's not the real Arby's. But Netflix is a good account, a pretty funny account. How funny? If the Netflix account were a comedy series, it'd be funnier than Girl Boss and Friends from College, nowhere near as good as Kimmy Schmidt. It's about as funny as Wet Hot American Summer, the first year, but without the feeling that you should be laughing if you're just better at understanding comedy. But people are mad. Oh, people are mad. Netflix, like Spotify before it, has been divulging secrets. I'll read from USA Today. Netflix creepily trolls 53 people who can't stop watching A Christmas Prince. And in the story, it says, On Sunday evening, Netflix tweeted to the 53 people who've watched A Christmas Prince every day for the past 18 days, Who hurt you? Now, that does sound pretty creepy, except when I tell you where the quotation marks are in the above sentence. Netflix didn't tweet to the 53 people who watch A Christmas Prince. They tweeted, quote, to the 53 people who've watched A Christmas Prince every day for the last 18 days who hurt you. They tweeted to everyone that there are 53 people who they know have watched A Christmas Prince every day. Spotify did some marketing in a similar vein, like this ad. Take a page from the 3,445 people who streamed the Bruzy Brunch playlist on a Wednesday this year. So I suppose we're supposed to be surprised, angered, or creeped out by the fact that Netflix and Spotify know that their users are using their service. The shocking thing is that these computer-based apps use computers. The New York Times quotes Jeffrey Chester, head of the nonprofit Center for Digital Democracy, who advocates for consumer protection and privacy, quote, this gives the public a kind of view into the ways that the major content companies are gathering and using our data. And then Mr. Chester climbed into his charcoal-powered car and campaigned for the Whig Party. Yeah, it gives a view how the content companies are using their data. So does using the content companies. When you go on Netflix and it tells you, you just watch that, here now watch this. Who do you think's doing that? A guy named Ken? This is a dishonest conversation about media. It's malpractice to give credence to every criticism of a media company using data for any purpose and pretending that that's weird or scary. I've got to think 90% of the app-using public knows this or just doesn't care about it. And this means when the really abusive stuff actually does happen, like Facebook allowing ads that target racist groups, the obvious reaction is meh. Sort of like the fact that Netflix knows someone in the UK watch B-movie every day for 357 days. Treating that fact, which is an actual fact, as a sign of the apocalypse. No, the actual sign of the apocalypse is colony collapse disorder, as Nigel Portnoy of Kensington could surely tell you once his painstaking research is done. Of all the dysfunctional conversations we have, the one around tech companies and data mining is just about the most dysfunctional. Either we quote buggy whip Jeff Chester treating autocomplete like the Amish treat zippers, or we outsource a really big legit issue to the companies themselves. Anyway, what I really want to know is this. 
how many people set their kids up to watch Monsters, Inc., and then leave the room and come back right before Halle Berry's about to have sex with Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, wait, that was Monsters Ball. My bad. Kids, let's watch this cute little animated series. His name is Bojack, and he's a horsey. Please don't knock me out, Netflix, please. On the show today, Star Wars, bad storytelling, breaking faith with the audience, and how it relates to Trump's most enabling excuse. But first, color me tickled pink about our next guest. She's a enemy of yellow journalism, Maria Konnikova. She's here to play. Is that bullshit? So yes, we'll work blue on the topic of does the food you eat affect hue? Not Y-O-U-U, but H-U-E-U. Just forget all that. We're talking about carrots. Did they turn you orange? Listen. Today we will interrogate the idea that eating the consumption of certain foodstuffs, I'm thinking of you, carrots, makes people seem in their aspect a bit quarantine. Can eating too many carrots turn you orange and other food-related colorings of the person? Joining me now is a person named Maria Konnikova who conducts the Is This Bullshit segment with us on our show. Hello, Maria. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm feeling very yellow today. You're feeling yellow? Yeah. How are you feeling? Because you're jaundiced or because you ate? I'm eating some bananas, so you know. Yeah, but the idea is that carrots might turn you orange. I have heard this idea. Yes, yes. I haven't heard it as much with pumpkins, but I think that it's because pumpkins on the inside aren't as orange, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have heard it with pumpkins. Well, I happen to have a list of foods here that have been- No, that are associated with high levels of carotenoids, which is the substance that carrots have, which might or might not, we will get to this in a second, turn you orange. Don't step on the reveal. Not stepping on the reveal. But these vegetables and fruit include things like pumpkins and squash, so we're very fall-themed here, and also things that you wouldn't really expect, like carrots, obviously, you expect, but I was very surprised to learn that things like collard greens Mm -hmm. have a lot of this. We're actually, this is a really fall menu. We've got corn, we've got yams, we've yeah. got sweet potatoes. Yeah. Um, succotash. Succotash. I knew succotash was going to be the Suffering other one. Suffering succotash. Yes. yes we've, got, we've got to get that in there. I don't know if I'd know a succotash if I just saw a succotash. Apples, tomatoes. So right. a bunch of stuff has, has these things. So these foods are high in carotene. And is carotene itself an orange substance? Yes. It is a substance that is broken down by our bodies into something that turns orange. This is an ability that is throughout the animal kingdom Mm -hmm. that actually exists. So we probably get this kind of breakdown of these substances, turning them into orange. And this is also why non-orange foods can also lead to this sort of orangey breakdown because animals actually need to extract the substance in order to change their colors so that they can function better in the wild. For instance, flamingos eat shrimp and blue algae in order to get their very vibrant feathers. I I have heard it phrased that flamingos aren't naturally pink. It comes from their diet. But I wouldn't say that doesn't mean they're not naturally pink. That's where their pinkness comes from. That explains their pinkness. Exactly. So if you capture a flamingo, because that's what we all do on the weekends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. searching for flamingos. I know a couple yards where they're easy prey. Absolutely. And then you keep them in captivity and you kind of (laughs) 
get them flamingo food, uh-huh. they are going to start fading because they're not getting the correct substances. So often in zoos, because they can't get them the blue-green algae that they need, uh-huh. um, for instance, they will supplement their food with very vibrant things so that their feathers stay vibrant because that's actually important for their survival because you know when they're mating, they need those vibrant colors. Sure. Same thing with salmon, with koi. They actually eat things that make them more vibrant. And people who are trying to breed koi that sell very well will often supplement the diet with things to make them more yellow or orange. But this is very tricky because, you know, what ends up happening to the koi, if you overdo it, yeah, the whole fish turns yellow. Really? And so then the koi is not as beautiful. Mm-hmm. But this goes directly to humans. So can we also entirely turn yellow or orange or other colors from eating these sorts of foods? And it ends up that we can. So this is actually something that's been documented many times, that if you start eating a lot of things like carrots, um, so oftentimes it happens in infants and mothers get really freaked out because they're starting to feed their infants purees of carrots and squash and pumpkins. Think about it. And succotash. And succotash, yes. And succotash, obviously. And so then they start noticing that the hands and the nose of the infant starts turning a little orange because uh-huh. that's the first place it manifests. And then, and then, and the then s- they run to the doctor and say, oh my God, right. you know, my baby's dying and no, right. your baby's not dying. And it actually probably isn't even that dangerous. And a good doctor will say, look, you have to watch out for the subsequent signs. If they turn orange, that's one thing. If they start talking about walls that other countries are going to pay for <laughs> or lusting after Eastern Europeans, then yes. those are bigger yes. warning signs. Those, those are, and if their hair starts to, mm-hmm. starts changing, right. they suddenly have a pompadour. Right. These are all problems. If yes. they have inconsistent statements on China as a currency manipulator, these are all the warning signs. There's yes. a checklist. Yes, there is a checklist. Most pediatricians' offices. Exactly, yeah. exactly, because most pediatricians are really on top of this. Um, so yeah, this is called actually keratinosis. Keratinosis. Or keratinoderma. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so, which makes sense, because Dermis. Um, it's one of those <laughs> phrases that are like, is so complex that it it's actually winds up being very simple. Carrot in the derma. Exactly. <laughs> it's carrot in the skin. Yeah. A team from the University of St. Andrews in 2012 decided to study whether it confers any sort of health or beauty benefits. So, right. do if people it's evolutionarily. Who, exactly. They actually looked at students um, over six weeks. And they gave them a baseline, then three weeks later and six weeks later. And they're not giving them carapuree every single day. They're just giving them um, between no servings of fruit and vegetables, basically depends on their diet, to a little over three servings of fruit and vegetables a day. And what they ended up finding is that the skin color does change. So objectively, if you look, it becomes both a little bit redder and a little bit yellower. So two different color spectrums, hence probably the orange, right, Um, (laughs) that we associate. Uh, I'm guessing. I'm extrapolating it from that. Um, So they have the the redness and the yellowness. And it ends up when independent observers look at photographs, it does make them look more attractive. It's more attractive. 3.3 servings of of fruit and vegetables a day, to be be precise. And at 2.9, you start looking healthier. So the skin actually is... You know, it's not as obvious as things like facial symmetry or big eyes, things that we know, or that, good or teeth. Or that golden uh, hip to uh, whatever exactly. waist ratio. Exactly, exactly. So Who doesn't need that? Exactly. Yeah. But the skin tone actually ends up being affected by how many fruit and vegetables you eat. But when I was researching this, I found something really interesting that I didn't expect, which is that we can turn other colors too. So orange isn't just the yeah. only color that we can turn. There's also evidence of people turning blue. Uh-huh. Like this oh, oh, I saw blue. Willy Wonka. 
Oh, right. Yes, exactly. Um, and Violet, yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's the most common cause. But after that, mm-hmm. so assuming you haven't had any chewing gum lately, colloidal silver. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people actually think that there's some health benefit, which is, by the way, let's just do a side. Is that bullshit? Bullshit. There are, there's no evidence. An emergency breakout bullshit. No. <laughs> emergency break. Do not, do not start eating colloidal yeah. silver. But some people actually think that this has health benefits. And so they take it religiously every day in small doses or right. once a week, et cetera. Um, and this what, might result in them turning blue. It's a terrible idea. It has no health benefits. And in fact, your uh, your chances of meeting a violent end will go up when you are pursued by Gargamel. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. And this has a name. It's called Argyria. Argyria. For our, 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 the, yeah, exactly. I love it. The scientific name for silver. Exactly. But um, so there's this one guy who's documented in the medical literature and there are pictures of him. And yeah, this I guy see is like just a, like, like a blue with a yeah, white beard. Exactly. And it really stands And out. he yeah. still does it because he says that the silver is so good that he doesn't care. It's also his thing. It like, is that's his how thing. I know It him. is his thing, yeah. Like if he was just like the eighth best woodworker yep. in suburban Sacramento, yep. I wouldn't give a damn. But he's the blue yeah. guy with the white beard. Um, and I, we can also turn bright red, the blue guy with the white beard. I love we can turn bright red. We can turn bright red. So there was a 2003 um, study in the New England German Journal of Medicine that looked at the case study of this guy who drank ruby red squirt Aye. every single day yeah. in large quantities. And this guy, and apparently ruby red squirt, for those of you who are curious about these sorts of things, contains a lot of bromiated vegetable oil. Yeah. And the bros love it. Yes, the the bros love it. It was crafted specifically for bros. And unfortunately, the breakdown of that substance causes not so great side effects in the body, including turning red. And this is called bromoderma. Bromoderma. (laughs) (laughs) So so we can turn a lot of different colors. This one is the worst in terms of the other health side effects. So this guy also got started getting lesions. Like, do not drink, you know, a lot of ruby red squirt. Basically, don't drink ruby red squirt. Maybe we're trying to get a sunburn from the inside. Does ruby red squirt still exist? I I don't know. (laughs) If they took it off the market, it was never in my market, but I go to the fairway market. So in any case, all of the side effects can be reversed if you just stop drinking ruby red squirt or stop taking silver, or stop eating tons and tons and tons of pumpkin, squash, wow. succotash, wow. carrots, and all sorts of other things. Unbelievable. Um, and for the most part, it's benign. Um, but you can turn colors. And other parts of you can also turn colors, like eyes, but eyes are not as benign. So when your eyes are starting to turn yellow, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with how many carrots you ate, and you should go to the doctor. That's actually signs of serious health problems. Jaundice? It could be jaundice, yeah. yes, which could be caused by liver dysfunction. That's the most common. It could be caused by a red blood cell breakdown. So that means that you're anemic, there's some sort of problem not good, or your bile ducts are blocked. Hmm. So once again, not good. It can also be caused by malaria, pancreatitis, or different types of cancers. So yellow eyes, not good. Um, Blue eyes can also happen. Your whites of your eyes can turn blue. Really? Hey, blue eyes. exactly. (laughs) Um, And that's not uh, quite as bad as yellow eyes, but that's also not great. It can often come from minocycline, which is in some common antibiotics that are used to treat acne. So when you stop taking it, the blue goes away. And it can also come from anemia or from steroids. So so these are all the things I've learned about bodies changing colors. I just want to meet my guy who's eating too much carrots, pair him with my guy who's eating too much silver, and have just a, <laughs> a really pasty face guy in the middle. And that would be the flag of New York, the blue, orange, and white. Excellent. All right, so... 
turning all these colors from your diet, bullshit or not bullshit? Totally not bullshit. However, as we've talked about with pediatric checklists, there are checklists for adults as well. So if you start exhibiting any of the other signs on that checklist, um, then it can suddenly be a symptom of a much larger disease. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game. She writes for The New Yorker Online, and she plays Is That Bullshit with us here on The Gist. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. Oh, Mike, Mike again, Mike Pasca, host of the show, cutting in for a quick clarification. We seem to uh, speak of that blue man as if he were still with us. He is not. His name was Paul Kerrison. He died in 2013, and he was known as Papa Smurf. He really was. That's not a joke. And now the spiel. Saw Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Going to spoil it? Going to lightly spoil it? Look, isn't adhering to a non-spoiler mindset just buying into the Disney-Lucas-Rebel-Alliance industrial complex? Yeah, I thought so. Wasn't that good? I mean, I liked it. I enjoyed it. But wasn't that good? It's gotten 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's undeserved. We're being told it was good because, yes, it had humorous elements that the other eight, eight canonical Star Wars movies lacked. There were genuinely rousing parts And it was a familiar visit from old friends, replete with spectacle. And some of that last stuff is why these latest Star Wars movies haven't been that good. So J.J. Abrams, director of Star Wars The Force Awakens, which was the Star Wars movie before this one, this one is called Star Wars The Last Jedi. And by the way, does it seem like the subtitles are forming a sentence, Star Wars The Force Awakens The Last Jedi, the next one's going to be named on Thursday. The Force Awakens The Last Jedi on Thursday. I want to pause. That's not my joke. That's my son Milo's joke. But I don't think he made it up himself. Have you heard that joke elsewhere? Did Jimmy Kimmel make that joke? If you've heard it, call in. I want to rat out Milo. If not, credit be unto him. Anyway, J.J. Abrams has a gift, a real gift. It is not a gift for originality. It might be something close to structure. It's not storytelling. He is a nostalgia savant. I don't want to discredit him. He's a keeper of the flame, a guardian of this galaxy. He understands a fan's mentality. And he doesn't just pander. He really plays with it and delivers. But he's not an original movie maker. I suppose we don't have to be, except Star Wars, the first three when they came out, were some of the most original movies the world had ever seen. This movie is more original, so it's really butting up. In, in these other eight movies, if you include Rogue One, butting up an institution that's about as mobile and nimble as a Jawa sand crawler. Alyssa Rosenberg in the Washington Post has an excellent compendium of some of the movie's flaws. The article's titled, It's Time to Stop Grading Movies Like Star Wars The Last Jedi on a Curve. Her subtitle says it all. We should be clear-eyed about The Last Jedi's wasteful plot diversions, Swiss cheese storytelling, and inability to stick to its darkest insights. So I'm going to issue my spoilers here. Give me about 40 seconds. Jump ahead. Here we go. So speaking of jump ahead, I want to talk about the jump to light speed. In the Star Wars universe, there's this thing, the jump to light speed. It takes calculation. It takes coordination. Boom. And then you're gone. In this Star Wars movie, one character jumps to light speed and slices through an enemy ship, kamikaze style. I never thought this was possible. 
I guess the character realizes it was possible pretty late because about 80% of her pals have died before she decides on the tactic. But if you can kamikaze your ship into another ship, it doesn't just destroy that ship. It destroys most of the plot of all the movies that came before it. Death Star, jump to light speed. Death Star 2, just jump to light speed. Starkiller Base, jump to light speed. By the way, Starkiller, Death Star, it's the same name, just the order is reversed and a synonym for death. Okay, we're back from the spoiler section. Now listen, when I raise these points or when Alyssa, or some of the points that Alyssa Rosenberg raised when they did it on Twitter or in real life, I get a little pushback, right? And the pushback usually crests. I raise my issue, I get a counterpoint, I say, yeah, but what about this? I get a worse counterpoint, I say, yeah, but you still haven't addressed this major, huge, gaping flaw. And then my debate partner will just say, look, you're taking it too seriously. It's just a movie. And this has got to be the feeling that I hate most as a consumer. A consumer of any product, really any media, including fiction and news. Well, I guess I'm an idiot for taking it all seriously. You told me to take it seriously. Critics are touting it as a very serious work. I've read many a compendium on why this is much more serious than just the surface subject matter would suggest. But I'm the idiot. In the end, I'm the idiot for taking it too seriously. And here's where Star Wars relates to Donald Trump. So both of the appeals of the new movies where people come out of them buzzing with excitement. I heard little kids saying this was the best one ever. It was not. But both of them are really based on an emotional reaction eliciting an emotional reaction. That's not wrong. That's not new to Trump. That, in fact, is a good thing about politics, right? It's also a good thing about worthy stories, worthy works of fiction. They should leave you with a certain emotional rush. That's one part of your brain. But the really, really good ones should appreciate upon reflection, i.e., the policies advocated should work or the movie should work. And when neither one does this, we're told, oh, you're an idiot forever believing it would. That is the cynical feeling I hate. That is a form of victimization. That is the idea that you're playing a game that you can only lose. And that giving up of your belief or your fandom or your passions just makes you dumb, just makes you the idiot forever buying into it in the first place. So as I began reflecting upon taking Star Wars seriously, I, of course, thought of that adverbial phrase, used to excuse Trump that we shouldn't take him literally, but we should take him seriously. When this was trotted out there, it was a fine turn of phrase. It was essentially a get-out-of-fact-jail-free card. But think about what else asks to be taken, not literally, but seriously. Literature, fiction, all good works of fiction aspire to this. And if we're fools for taking it seriously, then you are breaking your contract as a storyteller. If all you're giving us is the adrenalized rush of the moment, and that adrenalized rush doesn't hold up to scrutiny, isn't that a kind of porn? And this even applies when the work of fiction is just meant to be fun, serious fun, like The Matrix or The Usual Suspects or most of the Spider-Man movie reboots. They took themselves seriously, as fun, and they worked. Now, of course, when it comes to a politician, what they're doing is much more important than a movie. But if we're told to take Trump seriously and not literally, what we're really being told is that Trump's importance is not the facts he asserts. It's the story he's telling. He's offering an illuminating tale about the American experience. Well, what is that tale? And I thought about it, just like I thought about Star Wars, and it it dissolves. It's, it's cotton candy. What is he really saying? What is his story? The best I can come up with is it's just a story of impotent rage. 
That is the closest I can muster. A little bit of whiteness thrown into that impotent rage. It's not much of a story. It's just an emotion. All right, let's step back. Let's step back to a long, long time ago. Star Wars. Again, not the stakes of a presidency. Piece of entertainment. But in both cases, Trump and The Last Jedi, they fail on their face. The terms change from underneath you. If you thought you take it seriously and then reflect and realize you can't, the argument becomes, oh, come on, it's something different. Oh, come on, it's mindless fun. Oh, come on. Maybe he's not meant to be a good politician, but he's certainly telling us something about America. He's certainly a tribune for our times. That said, I will definitely be seeing the next installment of Star Wars on opening weekend. Whatever the name is. Star Wars on Thursday. Star Wars with a neck ache. Star Wars having to go to the bathroom. See my earlier reference for why that makes sense. Because these films, in addition to being a great connection to my children, they hold my attention They offer surprises, and they have their charms. So I guess, to finish with a parallel, sort of like Anthony Scaramucci. And that's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by Pierre Bienname. His punk band in high school was Science-Based Fetus. Mary Wilson, Gist producer, has long advocated for transgender entitlement. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, displays a diversity of vulnerabilities. He's easily frightened, he's lactose intolerant, and he's clownphobic. The gist. You thought my sponsorship of the Vulnerable Fetus Entitlement Act meant that I was pro-life. No, just really, really anti-science. Oompru depru dupru, and thanks for listening. Wow. Wow. Producer Daniel just whispered in our ears, Ruby Red Squirt has been discontinued. I wonder if this case study had anything to do with it.